Welcome to the Unexpected Activist Podcast. Before I jump in today, I wanted to share a quick programming note. I'll be back to my interview format in a few weeks when my scheduled guests return from their summer holidays. But in the meantime, I have a few more of my own thoughts I'd like to share with you. And today I'm going to be talking about dogs. Last weekend, while I was back in the U.S. visiting my sister and her family, I had the opportunity to help her with the overnight leg of a dog rescue transport. Eight lab mix puppies were making their way from Alabama to save a lab rescue in Rhode Island. They were eight of the most adorable little beings you would ever want to meet, and at the same time, eight of the most mischievous little beings I ever did meet. I was in love and overwhelmed, and by the time we got them to their next transporter, we were utterly exhausted, but it was a good kind of exhausted. When we posted pictures and videos of the puppies on social media, they were met with absolute delight. We are all cheering for them to have wonderful homes and happily ever afters. Who doesn't love a puppy, right? After all, dogs are our best friends and puppies are just, well, puppies. (laughs) I was so happy to have had the experience of helping these little ones on their journey. But it got me thinking yet again, Why don't my posts about the baby cows garner the same attention? Where are the squeals of joy at seeing them? Why do the dogs prompt a response of, Oh, how adorable, and the cow posts, Yum, dinner. Why have we decided that the cows are expendable? It also prompted me to examine my own journey from dog lover to vegan activist. And I thought perhaps I might share some of my story here and then talk a bit about ways in which we can encourage people and support their efforts to broaden their circles of compassion. So here we go. I'd like to share the story of a little dog named Creature. It was 1999. We had just moved to Los Angeles after three years of living and working in London. I and my husband, Craig who's now my ex, both had fairly senior jobs in the marketing and advertising fields. We bought a house in Malibu, and if you know anything about L.A., you'll know that commuting anywhere from Malibu is a challenge. It usually means extra long hours away from home. We were a typical young professional couple, and if I'm being honest, our lives were very much self-centered. One morning, I arrived to my office in Santa Monica, and much to my surprise, some of my colleagues in the production department were playing with a little brindle puppy. Being a dog lover, I immediately went to see whose he was and how he ended up in the office. I learned quickly that he had been found wandering around the parking lot by one of the company's partners when he arrived early that morning. Everyone was debating what to do with this little guy, as a dark brindle dog, who looked like he was part pit bull and was more than a bit nippy, might have a hard time making it out of an L.A. shelter alive. I called Craig at his office and asked what he thought about bringing the dog to our house until we could figure out how to make sure he would be safe. He agreed, and that afternoon, the little brindle dog came home with me. At that time, we had no intention of getting a dog. 
Our work schedules were not conducive to being dog parents, particularly not for a puppy. And although we always had rescue dogs growing up, and we both professed to be dog lovers, we had never in our adult lives had the sole responsibility for a pet. Our garden was not fenced. Our home was not puppy-proofed. And so we decided that we just couldn't keep him. A friend of ours mentioned that there was a no-kill shelter about two hours from our home up in Santa Barbara. So that weekend, we loaded the little dog into our car, and off we went. (laughs) He bit me the entire trip and wiggled and wriggled and would not settle. And by the time we got to the shelter, my hands and arms were covered with puppy bites and scratches. Of course, all of this was typical puppy behavior. I took him into the shelter and I lied to them saying we were visiting Santa Barbara and found him wandering the streets with no ID, fearing they wouldn't take him if they knew he was from Santa Monica. They said they would accept him and hold him to see if he was claimed by an owner. And if not, they would put him up for adoption. I really thought I was doing the right thing. But the moment I handed him over to the shelter worker, he looked back at me and he squealed the saddest little squeal. And my heart shattered. I decided he should be mine. So for a week, I called the shelter every single day to make sure he was okay. And the minute he was available for adoption, we went right back up to Santa Barbara and filled out the application. Creature was now our dog. For weeks after that, we struggled with the new puppy. Trying to get home for midday visits proved challenging. We had no dog sitter or dog walker or friends or family to help us. And he was very naughty. I remember going to the Malibu Animal Hospital for his first puppy checkup and wearing oven mitts to protect my hands. Feeling very exasperated at that point, we wondered if we had made the right decision. Perhaps there were other people who would be better puppy parents for Creature. And then one day, the brother of a colleague expressed interest in him. And after much agonizing, we made the painful decision to let him go, thinking that we had his best interests at heart. But the day he left, I again felt shattered. I cried until I couldn't cry anymore. I felt sick. I had let him down. And Creature was gone from our lives. Or so we thought. Fast forward a few days. I was on a trip in Connecticut, driving down the highway with my sister, and my mobile rang. It was Craig. And he had the news for me that Creature was coming home. He had proven to be too naughty for the new family. To this day, it remains one of the best phone calls I have ever received. I would never, ever leave him again. We ended up having Creature for 13 and a half years. He lived with us in Malibu, Seattle, Malibu again, Santa Monica, and Brentwood. He would be joined by brothers Vinny and Gus and sisters Lizzie and Natalia. Although he never got to meet my chihuahuas, Mario and Luigi. He went with us on a road trip up PCH to Northern California to stay at Doris Day's dog-friendly hotel in Carmel, and he made numerous trips to his grandfather's house in Las Vegas. But let me tell you, he was never easy. 
he only willingly accepted a few people into his world. I have story after unique story of the trials and tribulations of being Creature's mom. One day, I'll tell you about the raccoon and my series of rabies shots. But despite everything, I loved him with every fiber of my being. When he passed away in 2012 after having knee surgery, a big piece of my heart went with him. It was Creature who taught me to love unconditionally, to accept him with all of his challenges, to make decisions based on the welfare of another little being rather than any selfish motivation of my own. He had been an important fixture in my world. He dramatically changed my life. I became a vegetarian a year after adopting him, and I really believed that loving him opened the compassion gates for me. I thought more about the rights of animals, and although I look back now and wish I had become a vegan right away, I was doing the best I knew at the time, and it was a huge step. I would become a vegan 16 years later when I moved to Italy and dedicated my life to advocating for animals. And I owe it all to a cheeky little brindled dog named Creature. So as I look back on my own story, I try to think about how and why my own circle of compassion evolved. And I think about ways in which we can approach people who consider themselves animal lovers, but still sit down and eat them every single day. How do we help them to make that same leap? I really think it's a matter of conversation and education and repetition. Make the analogies, draw the comparisons, get people to meet their meals, encourage visits to farm sanctuaries, challenge people to examine their own beliefs, ask the questions. People who love their pets, especially those who are rescues, are the low-hanging fruit. If you can love a dog or a cat or a horse, how hard is it to love a cow, a pig, a chicken, or a sheep? They are all the same once you take away the misperceptions. What a great place to focus our activism. Oh, and along those lines, before I wrap up today's episode, I wanted to share information very quickly with you and give a shout out to a program that does exactly what I'm talking about here. Perhaps they can be of help to you in your outreach, or you might choose to become a supporter of their work. I'm talking about Animal Places Food for Thought program. A few years ago, I attended an animal care conference in New Orleans, hosted by the Humane Society of the United States, where I met some of their team. The organization seeks to bridge the gap between the animals we love and the animals killed for food. Their goal is for animal welfare organizations to broaden their circle of compassion, and they encourage them to align their menus with their mission by adopting a policy to serve fully vegan or vegetarian food at their events. Food for Thought offers grant opportunities to participating organizations. With their vegan event grant, qualifying organizations have the opportunity to host their fully, first fully vegan event. They will reimburse their food expenses up to $1,000. Their policy grant is available to organizations that adopt a new policy. They will be rewarded with a one-time gift of $1,000 for a vegan policy or $250 for a vegetarian policy. 
Over 570 organizations have participated with Food for Thought across 13 countries and 41 states. That's pretty amazing. Going to people who have already demonstrated their love for animals in one form or another and asking them to extend that compassion is, to me, a fantastic idea. I love this organizational mission and have supported their work through my nonprofit, Toward a Vegan World, and I plan to include them again this year. Oh, and one more thing. Um, To be clear on all of this, I want to reiterate that we do still have immense problems with the way dogs are treated around the world. Whether it be in the United States, where millions of unwanted animals are euthanized in shelters every year, in Italy, where dogs are abandoned by the side of the road every summer as people take off for their holidays, and they end up languishing in public shelters, or in countries where they still eat them. They do need our help, and the people involved in their rescue truly are heroes. I would never, ever want to diminish the value of their work, and in addition to my work on behalf of farmed animals, I am committed to supporting their efforts. Well, I think that's it for me today. I hope you'll continue to follow along as we discuss all things vegan, creating your own brand of activism, and embarking on exciting new chapters in life, no matter your age. You can find links to all episodes on my website, theunexpectedactivist.com podcast, or check us out wherever you listen to your podcasts. Talk to you again soon. Ciao for now.